HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is supported by Pop M, a unique shop located in Littleton, New Hampshire, and by ICE, the Institute of Culinary Education. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Online grocery shopping is so convenient, but is it killing the planet and destroying my community? Find out on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, hopefully, every single one of them is tuning into Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today, we have a guest I've been stalking to get to come on the show for months and months, a longtime friend and very prolific food writer, Gabriella Gershenson. Hi. Hi. I'm so glad we finally found a time for you to make it. I really didn't try to play hard to get, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're busy, you're busy. Yes. And sometimes there's just only 24 hours in the day. She is out to talk about a great article that she wrote um, titled, Everything You Should and Should Not Feel Guilty About When Ordering Groceries Online. And it's great because it's a really, really good roundup of all the talking points that we want to get into. But before we do that, we are going to do like we always do at the top of the show and go around the shipping container and talk about apps. And today we have Mission Control manned by David Tatashore, HRN Studio Manager and Today's Engineer. How are you doing, David? I'm good. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm pretty good. The air conditioning's working. It's kind of quiet here. It's, yeah. It's nice. It's the calm before the storm. It's a nice morning vibe here today. Do you have something uh, interesting on the app front? Do you have a new security something you no. found to protect you from the man? <laughs> no, no, not this week. And uh, I don't know how interesting it is because it's not anything uh, all that esoteric. But uh, today I'm going to give it up for WhatsApp because <gasps> I... Really? Yeah, this yeah. Is, this, is, this is a turn for you. Why is that? Because isn't WhatsApp owned by Facebook? Oh, uh, well, yeah. So I, I prefer Signal for that reason. Yes. But um, unfortunately, many people just have WhatsApp right yes. now. So I try to avoid it whenever possible. But it came in handy uh, last week because I had to ask Vitor. Rem- remember Vitor? Vitor is also uh, our engineer sometimes. But currently, yes. he is unavailable because he's in He's He's in jaunting Brazil. around the globe, I believe. Right. I'm not sure where he is right now. He was in Greece. Where's Vitor? Yeah, where in the world? Um, (laughs) But I had to ask him a question, and I needed to get an answer sooner rather than later, so email wasn't really uh, an option. Because why would you check your work email if you're on vacation? Correct, yes. I mean, I, I do have his personal, but, you know, again, urgency. So... I just called him on WhatsApp. For free? Yes, correct. WhatsApp's amazing because A, it's encrypted, B, it's free, C, it runs over Wi-Fi, and you can send media, text messages, and make phone calls 
for free. Of course, in the con column, you have Zuckerberg, but, you know, anyway. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's going to be harder and harder for you to get away from that as time goes by. Yeah. Unless they totally implode and, and, and leave the dance floor, which I don't see happening. No, not anytime soon. Okay, so WhatsApp, that's a good tip. If you travel a lot or have friends in foreign countries or you're going to be in a foreign country... Because um, it's so convenient and so easy, and it will totally save all of your data overload. But I, I, do, I do suggest, if you can, get your friends on Signal. Get them on Signal first. Yep. Okay. And that's your PSA from Dave Tattashore. The more you know about security. <laughs> Gabriella, do you have an app that you use a lot right now? Something new or maybe an old favorite? Am I allowed to say two? You're allowed to say, too, the only rules are you are not allowed to say an app that you invested in or own. Okay, well, I haven't ever invested in anything, I don't think. Um, So we're safe. Uh, Well, they're both really nerdy and work-related, but one of them is called... This is a tech show, so we're all about the nerdy here. So I'm in a safe space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I have been using something called MyScans, which basically allows you to take a photo of something and turn it into a PDF. And maybe every single photo app can do that. But to me, this seems very magical because I was working on staff um, for a magazine until a year and a half ago. And I would have to Xerox. Remember Xerox machines? Yes. (laughs) They had paper. they, They have those. They used to have those at a thing called Kinko's. Well, I went to the thing called Kinko's, which is now a FedEx store that hasn't been called Kinko's for years, apparently. I went there for the first time in years thinking it was still called Kinko. So that's just to give your audience a sense of where I am on the up-to-date I'm with you. I'm with you. tech spectrum. Um, but it's just delightful to be able to take photographs of things and then email them as PDFs because it just cuts out an entire piece of equipment that I don't have um, and lets me basically send legit-looking documents for expenses and, you know, like pages of books to writers who I'm working with just from the convenience of my iPhone. So it's there fantastic. So it's MyScan? MyScan. Perfect. Or MyScans. MyScan. And you're on an iOS iPhone, I'm assuming? I'm on an iPhone. Okay. And is it a free app? It is a free app, I Excellent. think. Maybe I spend $2. I don't really remember. To me, if it's $2 or under, it's free. Okay. Fair enough. And then what's the second app that you said you liked? I was going to talk about Skype, but now I'm thinking about all of the wonderful apps I use for work. And Tape a Call is a $10 app. It is amazing because it allows you to record conversations and then to upload them onto your Google Drive um, or to send them to Rev.com, which does transcripts um, at a dollar a minute. They'll transcribe the recorded conversation to a doc in about a day's time. So it's just this great integrated app that allows me to just have tons and tons and tons of recorded interviews. And for a food writer and editor, being able to have the secondary services also, the $10 is probably a really cheap deal on almost having a part of an assistant. It's, it's amazing. And it just, I really do work more from my phone than I do from my computer, I think, because of apps like that. That's interesting. You yes. spend more time on your phone than you do on your computer. I think I gave myself a frozen shoulder, which is adhesive capsulitis, which means I can't lift my arms from working on my phone. Like when I'm on the subway, you know, when I'm just, you know, in a place where I can't have my computer with me, just actually editing on my phone, typing on my phone. Guys, this is definitely a PSA from me to not become a freelancer. (laughs) No, that's not true. I love freelancing, but you really can be working everywhere all the time these days. Um, Scheduling downtime maybe. And also maybe during the break, we'll talk about the seven minute workout app. Oh yes. Maybe you can do on your phone and maybe help you work on that shoulder. Yes, please. Or if you do like the 50, 10, which 50, 10 or 40, 20, which are efficiency work ideas and strategies where you work for 15 minutes and then you take a 10 minute break or you work for 40 minutes and you take a 10, 20 minute break and you set a timer or do a schedule like that. And the idea is that you focus intently for the 50 minutes, knowing that you're going to focus intently and you're not going to get sidetracked by email or phone calls or snacks or anything like that. And then for 10 minutes, you get up, you stretch, you walk around, you check your phone, you get a coffee and by incorporating those things, it's supposed to um, 
make you more efficient and effective while you are working because it sort of clears a path to make you more focused. But then by having all of these regular repeated little breaks, it keeps you kind of refreshed and less stressful. I feel like I do that instinctively and I used to get very upset with myself and now I realize it's just part of the process, but I just, I just call that procrastination. But I like that in your world, it is a planned and diligent way of working. It's a strategy. I I can send you documentation and articles. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So one of the many articles that Gabriella wrote, um, Recently, and when I, when I say prolific, we're talking, you know, she writes over, she wrote over 100 articles last year, which is just breathtaking to me. And I'm thinking about making her come back to do an efficiency show about how she got that all done. But online grocery shopping is something that, you know, I've been thinking about f- since we started the show in 2015. We did an episode, episode 115, when Amazon purchased Whole Foods, which seemed like the, the absolute juggernaut of all online shopping deals. And it, it's something that we haven't really covered because there's definitely a pro category in talking about online shopping and there's definitely a big con category in terms of you know the environment and your community and those types of things. And you know we like to try and be positive. So we've never really had an online grocery entity on or a food kit company on because um, you know sometimes there's potential pitfalls of negativity. So we're going to delve into this, all the good, the bad, and the ugly, with a impartial third-party journalist who's yes. done a huge amount of research for her story. Um, so, you know, one of the, the there's a couple of different categories I think that we're going to go through. I, I don't think we need to explain to people why online grocery shopping is popular and why it's increasing in popularity. It's Super easy. It's super convenient. You can do it from your phone. Um, A recent Forbes article this year said that online grocery shopping is on track to reach $100 billion, with a B, in 2025, and that that will represent 20% of total grocery shopping. And of course, right now, Amazon is leading the pack. They have the biggest share of online retail generally. They have the biggest share of online retail for grocery. And it's hard to kind of combat it. So, you know, we know what the we, we know what the pros are. It's super easy, it's convenient, it makes, you know, you can the one of the other bonuses I think on a non-personal level is the environmental issue. Um, for the most part, online grocery shopping and group delivery from your UPS or your post office is sort of like public transportation for your grocery shopping. It groups everything together. It makes it more fuel efficient and potentially reduces, you know, some of the general environmental pollution in the world. So, but even though it's sort of like public transportation for your groceries, there is an element of the delivery piece that's actually not necessarily great for the planet. And one that was actually very surprising to me, which was the community piece that you found. Yes, it was very interesting. I think that when we think about the effect that vehicles have on our environment, we think about carbon emissions and the greenhouse effect, just because I think we've gotten a lot of education about what that is. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of us just grew up in a generation where this was a very scary thing that suddenly was part of our consciousness and our reality. So we learned about aerosol cans and about chemicals you find in discarded refrigerators, and there was a big public education campaign. Um, But what surprised me when I was speaking to uh, Anne Goodchild and Erica Wygonik, they performed a study in 2013. Um, They were at the University of Washington, both civil engineers, and they were researching what impact online groceries had in the environment. And while there was definite opportunity for cutting down on carbon emissions, uh, anywhere from 20 to 75%, according to their study, and we can talk about what factors lead to such a large range uh, later on. But one of the factors that we don't really think about are the, um, it's basically emissions coming from diesel trucks that are not the kind of emissions that you get from cars, right? So if you're measuring emissions from cars, you're measuring carbon emissions. But emissions from diesel trucks, which are the trucks 
typically used in these big, um, you know, delivery operations like online grocers, Amazon. Um, there, there's an entire other category of, of emissions that are impacting the environment, and they're not impacting the environment, you know, in like the, in the, the atmospheric, the atmospheric kind of layer around the globe. It's, it's in a local way, in an immediate way. Closer to the ground, yes. on the ground. And it's literally impacting the people who are around those fumes. Breathing the fumes, ingesting the fumes. Right. So people who live near distribution centers where, say, um, you know, it, I don't want to name names, but there was a study that, you know, the people living in Mott Haven in the Bronx near the Fresh Direct a distribution center and other distribution centers actually have higher rates of asthma because they are um, having a lot of exposure to NOx and PM10. NOx is nitric oxide. PM10 is particulate matter 10. That's the diesel fuel, diesel truck emission that yes. they're talking about. Yes. So it's interesting because while you know having these fleets of trucks, if you're efficient about it, can help reduce the emissions that might be coming into the world if you're taking a car to the grocery store. Every single person was taking a car to the grocery store. Right. Um, it's, It's not necessarily great for the people who live nearby. And one woman I spoke to named Meredith Tenor, um, who is a, a professor at Pratt and has studied a lot on food distribution. Uh, she was just pointing out that the people who live in these areas are usually the people with the least political clout and the people who are just kind of stuck with the not-in-my-backyard situation because they don't have enough pull with their local governments or enough you know, power, whatever form that may take, to fight it off. So it's, it's, it's not a win-win. Well, the interesting thing also is that you know, typically... Um, Commerce and marketplaces and shipping and distribution points have always been sort of hubbed in one area. I, mean, I think in this case, you know, we're, t- we're thinking about New York City because that's where we are. I think of Hunts Point where they have, you know, centralized warehouses. They have centralized pickup and distribution. Um, you know, in France, you have Rangis, which is outside of Paris, which is that big marketplace. You know, it's just like a small village. So all those places are going there, and as time goes by, as modes of transportation change, it's diesel trucks. So my, my guess is that you know, the, the distribution centers were prior business to business. You, know, you have Hunts Point, and you have a truck going up to pick up groceries from Hunts Point to take to another grocery store, right. and that would be one stop. But right. now you have probably multiple trucks and more trucks going because... They're not going to a single grocery store. They're going to 100 apartments in Manhattan. That's my understanding, too, that um, it's just really exponential growth of those diesel-fueled trucks making trips from the distribution centers to the people who have ordered whatever it is that they want that day. I wonder if someone will do a study about the urban centers, because on the one hand... So if people live around, you know, the distribution centers where the warehouses are and everything, typically those are, you know, outlying from urban places where there's more space and rents are less expensive and you have the physical, you know, space for the trucks and the warehouses. But I have noticed as a Manhattan resident, an uptick in the number of trucks double parked on every single street and every single block making the deliveries. So you have those same diesel trucks parked in front of residential properties, those hundred, you know, those hundred apartments that are getting the delivery, the truck's stopping there. So, and then you know, the grocery truck leaves, and the UPS truck comes, and then something else leaves, and something else comes. So, my guess is that because it's not centralized, there's no focal point to study. But I would be curious if they did a study on zip codes that have the highest rate of you know, online retail or online purchasing or online delivery, if you would see an uptick sort of counterintuitively of, you know, the same, you know, asthma, for example, just because that's what was referenced in the study, um, on kids in really high-income neighborhoods because everything is coming by delivery and by online and the truck is idling in front of their apartment building all day long. Yeah, there is a paradox there because um, one of the experts I spoke to, you know, was suggesting that, grocery deliveries in urban areas 
are just more efficient because of the density of the population. You can make one stop and service all these different people. But yes, the, the you know question is, when you're stopping, are those fumes going to be uh, negatively impacting the people who are living in those areas? And I guess only time will tell. I think the exponential seeming growth of this service that's being provided now um, seems to create a lot of opportunity for just trying to grasp what kind of an impact it's having on the immediate environment in addition to the, the atmospheric environment. And then like so many things, by the time they have the data, the impact will already have happened. <laughs> and then it'll be a question of what do we do to you know, prevent it or adjust it because it's already happening. Um, we are going to take a quick break and find out what's happening on this show's sponsor. You may not know, but Heritage Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit. We are independent public radio, and we keep the lights on and the mics hot. Out of the generosity support of our members, grants, and sponsors like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Pop M, a unique shop teeming with vibrant colors and a wash in pop art, located in Littleton, New Hampshire. Its alternative cafe marries healthy and fresh with luscious and decadent treats. At Pop M, indie brands and local artists mingle, bringing quality and hot off the press style. Follow Pop M at popm.nh. This episode is also brought to you by the Institute of Culinary Education a career cooking school with culinary arts, pastry and baking arts, restaurant and culinary management, and hospitality management programs, plus more than 1,500 recreational food and beverage classes a year. Earn a diploma in 6 to 12 months at the New York or L.A. campus, land an externship in the top cities for restaurants and hospitality, and find your culinary voice. Learn more at ice.edu. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that technology is happening online. We are talking about the pros and cons of online grocery shopping with Gabriella Gershenson. She is a food writer and editor in New York City. If you want to follow her, find out what she's writing about and thinking about, you can find her on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Gabby Writes, G-A-B-I-W-R-I-T-E-S. We're talking about an article she wrote for Epicurious called Everything You Should and Should Not Feel Guilty About When Ordering Groceries Online. There's so much ground to cover. We were just talking about the different types of emissions from delivery trucks, um, turning your online grocery shopping into a good-for-the-environment public transportation system for your groceries, and then on the flip side, turning it into a potential, you know, noxi noxious fume environment for people to breathe every day and, you know, to go into the atmosphere and potentially damage the planet. So once the groceries get to you after you've ordered them online, let's talk about the packaging that it takes to get groceries to your house. That's sort of like the next step. And... That's one of the things I've never really been able to turn the corner on. And the packaging issue is not just online grocery. It's also meal kit delivery. It's also online retail. But in the grocery section and in the meal kit section, if it's something that is perishable and needs to be kept under refrigeration, that adds a whole other additional bunch of stuff to the packaging. You have the outside box, the liner, the inside box, the gel packs, the cool things. It's amazing. And many companies say you can reuse their things or it's recyclable or, you know, it's biodegradable. But I just think of that box that you get. And if you ordered every meal or ordered every week, like 52 of those boxes piling up, like it can't be good. Yeah, I, I wasn't able to find these definitive studies on how much packaging there is, but I did find one Probably article. because people don't want you to know. Well, it, it seems kind of like, we, do we really need a study to tell us that, you know? Sometimes I think you do. It's like, did we need a study to tell us smoking was bad? Well, you, you raise a very, very fair point. Um, but I guess what I mean is we can see with our own eyes the kind of waste that comes with some of these orders. And there have been some really funny stories that I've read, like in the New York Times, about a fellow who ordered 
a lemon and maybe, I don't know, a pack of butter and just the amount of square footage of packaging that he got. Um, Jet.com was cited as a particularly bad offender at just over-packaging things that didn't even really need packaging at all. Um, And gosh, I wish I do remember the source of the story, but I did read about just in the Bay Area, um, you know, there were recycling plants that were overwhelmed with things people wanted to recycle. You know, just because we want to recycle doesn't mean that you can. Right. There's a there's a process for it. Well, there are people who need to do it. And I think that all the boxes out there, at least anecdotally, in some places, are overwhelming the capacity of people who want to recycle your waste. Um, and then, yes, those ice packs really are not recyclable. Maybe you could reuse them. Um, but... It was interesting, this story in the New York Times about the lemon packaging, I believe that had come from Fresh Direct, and Fresh Direct was approached for a quote about whether or not they were going to be reducing their packaging because customers had complained. And they said that they would be, but I followed up with Fresh Direct because I wanted to know if anything had been done, and I got a we're not going to comment response, which doesn't really inspire confidence. Um, So Fresh Direct, if you're out there, we'd love to know what advances you've made. That story was published a few years ago, I believe. All the packaging has been one thing that has really prevented me from ordering online groceries or doing any of the meal kits. And, you know, I think certainly reusing things, if you're a regular orderer, you know, Amazon Prime has the, you know, the green insulated bags that you could give back to the driver and reuse and recycle. And if you want a regular program, you know, I think we're ordering regularly. That kind of solution is really a great one. It's definitely just too much, though. It's just too much stuff and too much waste. And to your point, even if people are, even if the companies are creating recyclable packaging and even if the people are being, you know, conscientious in recycling, is the end recycling systems in cities able to handle it? And the answer is no. I do wonder if there is somebody or a company or an entity who is thinking about the chain reaction of the online grocery shopping. If, if you were an environmental scientist, person, company, waste disposal, would you be, are you working on how to deal with all of the additional waste and all of the additional packaging and recycling that's happening in the world. We're definitely in a space and time, I think socially, in terms of you know food and waste and the planet and the environment, where there's a big shift happening. People talk about you know retail closing, but then online is up, and you know maybe people are not working in a grocery store, but maybe they're working in a fulfillment center, and maybe you know they're not making new packaging, they're recycling packaging, but maybe you know the recycling plants need to up their game also. So. You know, one of the interesting things in the app and startup space that we see so much on Tech Bytes is people trying to go in and solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And many of the problems a lot of our founders and startup companies are solving are problems that didn't exist five years ago. Yeah. You know, we had um, we had uh, a company on, and their they their platform is to integrate all of the restaurant delivery platforms. Hmm. So if a restaurant is using Caviar, Uber Eats, Seamless, you know, and, and DoorDash, every single one of those delivery services comes with its own iPad that sits on the counter that takes in the orders. So instead of having five iPads on your counter, it's going to assimilate all of them into one feed that's going to integrate into your ordering system for the restaurant. So you don't have to have one person kind of manning those five different those five different entry points. So that's a new software platform that we had on the show. And that is a brand new problem for restaurants that did not exist five years ago. So I'm also very curious to see at some point who the, you know, thought leaders are, who are going to come out, who are going to start to solve some of these new problems that are being created by new technology and new convenience. Well, I I think that the entire grocery distribution system in you know in the brick and mortar world is have going to have to be rethought i 
I spoke to so many people who are in different areas of, of, you know, tangential and directly related fields, you know, people who are analyzing the environment um, because of online grocery deliveries, people who are analyzing, you know, aesthetic urban experiences because of the increasing, you know, um, clicking for your groceries kind of way of interacting with the world. Um, and one of the things that concerns me just as a consumer is thinking about what the jobs are. If, if all of that uh, buying power is centralized with Amazon, for instance, um, and we're going to be getting groceries directly from warehouses, not groceries from grocery stores, um, to the best of my understanding, it completely reorganizes what used to be a structure of how we got our food. And that was a structure that had unionized jobs, and it was a structure that provided opportunities for people to be <clears throat> working in distribution centers to get the food from the distributor to the distribution center, but then also to the grocery store, people in the grocery store sh stocking shelves. And just from the people I spoke to, these are jobs that enrich communities, um, and they're you know, some of them are good jobs. And what we're hearing about the jobs in the Amazon warehouses, for instance, whatever is trickling out of them, it, it sounds a little bit scary. It sounds like people are working in the dark. Um, we don't really know what their conditions are like. Um, there's also concern about just consolidating that buying power so that smaller producers might not be able to get part of that market share. Um, maybe even the quality of the groceries and the variety of groceries is going to lessen because of just more of that corporate power being concentrated into the hands of just a few buyers like Walmarts and Amazons. And um, Meredith Tenor, who I'd mentioned before, said that already. She, you know, spoken to people who are working at Whole Foods who have confirmed that there's just literally less variety. And as a shopper, I've seen changes at Whole Foods um, that, you know, has nothing to do with technology. Maybe it really does in the end, but, um, you know, far less organic produce, um, selling Amazon Alexa products uh, front and center. You know, we had Prime Day this year. Um, lots of non-Whole Foods-ish products on the shelves that I'd never seen before, like Honey Nut Cheerios, no disrespect. I love Honey Nut Cheerios, but as the daughter of a, a health foodie mom, you know, I really do, I really do respect the boundaries that were created by places like the original Whole Foods, that there are certain things you're not going to see in their store. So I think it's just a time of, of big change. And for people who are concerned about not only, you know, the fumes in the air, but about working conditions for people, about, you know, farms getting um, fair, you know. Um, Wage, price. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sea change. It's overwhelming. And I, you know, you're asking, you know, who's out there solving these problems. And I don't feel like the problems that need to be solved are, you know, a consolidation app that, no. that lets you manage <laughs> this, you know, three-ring circus of online grocery. No, it's not more, you know, Apple Pay or iWallet or anything like that. It's not making it easier for the consumer. No, no. And um, it's, it's very overwhelming because there's a lot of, I think that there's a lot of social malaise that seems to be potentially caused by the um, kind of uh, in a vacuum instant gratification beast that's being fed by all of these shopping, ordering apps. Digital, the, the convenience of digital life yeah. and the gamification of life. It's very, it's very, very satisfying to need something and then just buy it on Amazon and do it again and again. I do it all the time. It's almost addictive. Um, but I think that, you know, if, if listeners are wondering how do you curb some of the, the problems that are being caused by the increasing frequency of online grocery delivery, one thing you can do is if you're going to do your online grocery delivery, just maybe do it once a week and don't make the extra trip to the grocery store for something else. That's one thing you can do. So this is an excellent segue to get into um, because so many of the things that we're talking about could easily you know, make somebody a little panicky and a little distressed 
Um, because there are, I mean, there's an action and reaction to all these things, especially because grocery, delivery, pollution, these are all things that we share that affect us on a personal level, our personal family home level, and then have a huge ripple effect into our community and country and, and the planet. So I, I don't think convenience is going away. I don't think online delivery and online shopping and using your phone and your apps to make your life easier and better are going away. But I do think there are ways, I am in total agreement, there are ways to do that thoughtfully. How would one thoughtfully and mindfully do their online grocery shopping? Well, let's go back to that interesting range that um, we talked about a little earlier in that 2013 study at University of Washington, where ordering groceries online could reduce carbon emissions from anywhere between 20 and 75 percent, which is huge. That's huge. It's like what creates that huge margin? Um, and I spoke to the women, Anna, um, sorry, Anne Goodchild and Erica Wygonik, who conducted the study. And it really seems to be based on just whether you're choosing when your groceries are delivered, um, just to break it down in really simple terms. Like, are, are, are you dictating your delivery time or are you going to let Instacart or Amazon or whoever tell you when it's convenient for them to deliver. Um, They said that places that tend to approach delivery with more efficiency, which is just trying to group as many deliveries as possible in one go, um, that they can emit um, 80 to 90% less carbon dioxide than places that are really just at the whim of of the consumer. So I've noticed those little checkout options at Amazon where it says, we'll give you a dollar toward your pantry purchase if you delay your order. I would never use the word delay. But if you, you know, if you place your order on this date and we send it to you a week from now instead right. of two days from now. Well, that's when it turns into the, to use the public transportation analogy, because I think we all get that. If you let the service determine when your groceries are delivered, then it's like your groceries are taking the subway or a bus. If you say, I need my order at 10 a.m., it's like they put your groceries into a taxi cab or a car or an Uber and you're having, you know, it's, it's not carpooling and it's not public transportation. So the more you let the service determine when you get things will help decrease the emissions and, and all of that. One of the other, you know, interesting things, we did a show... Back in uh, 2015, it was one of our first shows. It's episode, I'm looking it up online, episode 31. And it was called, Are Delivery Services Bad for Restaurants? And it's a great, great episode. And it has a very similar conversation to this one. But instead of it being grocery delivery, it is delivery and takeout from your restaurant. And the, the big, you know, the big King Kong in that industry is Seamless. We had two independent restaurant owners on, and in essence, Seamless was really difficult for them. They were losing money because of the percentages on each delivery that Seamless was taking. Um, They were not capturing uh, clients for their restaurant. You know, people who have their profile on Seamless and order repeatedly, they have a relationship with Seamless because of the convenience. They're not having a relationship with the restaurant. So what you know, they both said, and it's sort of, you know, common sense, but if you called the restaurant and placed an order for delivery to the restaurant directly, they would get all of the money. Or if you went to the restaurant's website, or some restaurants have apps, and did the ordering through that system, the restaurant would get all of the money. And the important thing about the restaurant getting all the money or the grocery store getting all the money is something that Gabriella um, you know, mentioned at, at the top of the show. That helps sort of distribute where you know, the profit and the money goes. When you order with Seamless or Amazon, the money goes to Seamless and Amazon. Where's that corporate headquarter? Well, maybe you have Amazon stock and you're cool with that because you, know, you, you, you get a piece of that action. But for Seamless, it takes, you know, restaurant, it takes money out of the restaurant communities. And that goes back to how these things are affecting our communities. So 
if restaurants make more money, if local grocery stores make more money, if the local farmers make more money, they are employing, you know, workers and people who do like packaging and linen and their own driving and their own delivery and, and all those different types of things. So the, the ripple effect of positivity stays more in your community versus going out to some nebulous HQ. So oftentimes, you know, even if you are totally into convenience and maybe don't have the time or the wherewithal or you're just used to it, you know, if you go to your individual vendors and sellers directly, um, that small shift in how you place your order and where you place your order can make a world of difference. So another thing about what, what, what else can you do to make your online shopping less terrible? Um, well, look, there aren't that many places in the country where you can walk to the grocery store. I don't want to state the obvious, but... That in, we live in a pedestrian urban environment and you can... I don't have a car, actually. Yeah. So I never drive to the store ever. I typically walk. I've anywhere. seen your husband at the local grocery store, in fact. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have bumped into each other well, there. He's, he's French and he shops himself and almost every day because... That's just culturally how he was raised. You know, he goes to the store almost every day. He goes to the farmer's market a couple times a week. He buys things in small quantities. We eat them as he buys them. We don't have a lot of things stockpiled. Um, it's, just a different, it's just a different mentality from going to the grocery store once a week and getting everything you would need. Yeah, I think that's really just dictated so much by environment and just personal, Culture. yeah, yeah. personal um, style. But, uh, you know, there are other ways that you can be a, a sort of activist um, just from the comfort of your iPhone. You can write to the vendors that you like to use online and you can tell them that you want to see electric fleets of trucks because there can be non-diesel delivery of the groceries. There just aren't yet. So that is a possibility. Um, also, speaking up about reducing packaging um, is also a possibility. When you are placing those orders um, online, you might want to consider just doing the dry goods and, and the bulk stuff and, you know, the like 12 pack of, of bounty paper towel. That's an excellent point that if you are going to do your online shopping, consider just ordering things that are non-perishable, that don't require the ice pack and the cooler and the insulation and then order them in volume and store them, you know, in your pantry or under the bed or in the back closet so that instead of getting a weekly delivery, maybe you're getting a monthly delivery. I mean, it's, it's all, it's, it all takes some refining. Like no one has their lives together to that point where we know exactly what we need when we need it. Um, but those are just some considerations. If you cut out the perishable aspect of it, you just create more flexibility and less need for packaging. Um, doesn't mean you won't get a ridiculous amount of packaging, but it definitely, I think, lowers the odds. Um, and also, you know, you read about, I don't know if you have, but I read about these stories from people who work in Amazon warehouses that, I, to be honest, I, I don't even really want to repeat it on the air because it's some stuff that's pretty, it's pretty ugly. Like, you know, not having breaks go to the bathroom, um, that, that type of stuff. And, you know, that's stuff that we hear about. What about what we don't hear about? And if that concerns you as a consumer, then, you know, use your dollar to maybe try another service that doesn't have that kind of information already out there floating around, maybe yet yet to be revealed. Uh, sorry, I'm a little cynical. That's okay. Um, or, or just write to Amazon and say, I, I don't want to use your service if this is how you're going to be treating your, your employees. One of the interesting things to watch will be how the impact of the Amazon purchase affects the Whole Foods employees. Whole Foods has for a very, very long time been one of the leading companies winning all of the best places to work awards for a long time. And I recently started to see some things about similar articles about people who work at Whole Foods, just the shift in how the stores are run, creating huge, um, huge issues of, you know, stress and confusion and it's different um, I would also, you know, through the conversation when you mentioned earlier Whole Foods being, you know, the place 
one of the front runners where, you know, the list of these, you know, you will not find these foods here. I have not taken a look at the Whole Foods manifesto online recently. I mean, it's very clear cut what types of food products they would sell and would not sell. And I haven't checked in on it lately to see if it's different or we, how it's changing. We should. Um, I've seen Dylan's candy at Whole Foods, which I'm pretty sure would not pass the standards of the once upon a time Whole Foods manifesto. Like I mentioned, Honey Nut Cheerios, um, just these, you know, big kind of bland displays of food that have refined sugar. I know that Whole Foods a long time ago started making like, you know, their own brand of like Oreo cookies and, and just they're organic. So somehow they belong there. I mean, the standards of Whole Foods have really been pretty um, flexible for a little while. But it is a little jarring when you're used to a certain... That hard line. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little jarring. And, and it's also um, for people like me who are sort of emotionally attached to those places just because of how I grew up. You know, it's a little sad, too. Well, it also adds something potentially new to your shopping routine. One of the great things about Whole Foods and knowing what their manifesto was and what types of products they would have in the store and the types of products they had in the store was not just about the ingredients, but also about how the food was produced, where it was produced, you know, the treatment of people um, on the production line all the way through to the point of origin and the farmers. Um, you know, Whole Foods is probably responsible for introducing things like shade grown and fair trade to coffee labels. It also, if you wanted to shop in that manner, created a really easy shopping environment because once you walked through the door, you knew that you could buy anything off the shelf and it would be, I'm using air quotes that you can't see on the radio, okay. Right. Because it would have already passed all these tests. Whereas if you were in a different supermarket or grocery store, you would probably pick up labels if it's, you know, pick up and read labels and, you know, might add an extra half hour to your shopping if you were looking at all the labels and trying to figure out what things were. And as that, you know, shopping manifesto evolves, it may or may not have the same feeling when you're in there, you know, because the point of the, the cost, the price of entry to Whole Foods is going to probably be a lot lower going forward. Well, one person um, who I spoke to over the story was talking about how when you're shopping online, you're, you're not seeing products the same way. So um, the idea of discovering products in the store, and I think a lot of vendors depend on that. You know, they, they, I don't know a lot about how um, groceries get marketed in the grocery store, but... It's a whole thing. Yes. It's a whole industry, universe, shelf space, shelf talkers you know, the way things are priced, the end caps, all that. It's a universe unto itself. So think about how that's sort of just being uprooted when people are not going to the store and browsing the shelves, but they're browsing their their screen. Or and it, it, it even goes beyond that. There's a, an interesting thing in the, in the retail space um, where it's evolving, where the shopping decisions are not happening in the aisle and they're not even happening at the brand level in many instances because now you can just say Alexa buy me paper towels Mm -hmm. I need paper towels and without even indicating a brand so Alexa will buy you a case of paper towels who knows what brand Alexa is going to buy so it's it's there's so many different things happening in terms of consumer behavior and where the decisions are happening and how specific people's decisions are becoming or how generic their decisions are becoming and then which artificial intelligence or algorithm is making the ultimate choice for us. So many things to talk about. We're out of time. We're over time. I'm just going to ask a real quick question to Gabriella um, because it's such an interesting topic and, you know, there are still so many things to talk about. But if you were going to write a follow-up to this story, just based on what you learned and, you know, maybe how it changed your feelings about something or something you didn't have enough time to get into. What would your part two of this story be about? Um, I really believe that there's no way to turn back the clock. You know, change is hard in a lot of different ways, no matter what. Um, But we can't revert to a way of life that just is not compatible with what we have at our disposal and also just what our needs are um, in our society today, working as much as we do. Um, So I would really love to find people who are trying to combat 
or respond to some of these problems we're identifying. Um, online retailers who are responding to the conundrum of wasteful packaging, of wasteful delivery, um, of the conditions of the people who are filling those boxes. Uh, I would love to find companies that were really going to create the next generation of you know the Whole Foods manifesto, so to speak, but for the online shopping world. I would love to see that, and I would love to write about it. Those are some great Great story ideas. Um, that also sounds like maybe four or five different stories and not just one big one. Um, they also sound like if you find those companies, um, they would be really great guests to have on Tech Bytes. And maybe we will look for some of those companies or some of those problem solvers, because I'm sure they're out there. It might just be a couple kids in a college dorm room, or it might be you know, some big environmental office of a giant, you know, multinational company, we can hope. Um, but my guess is somebody out there somewhere is working on some of these things. If you want to get in touch with Gabriella Gershenson, I would follow her on social media. She is at Gabby Writes, G-A-B-I-W-R-I-T-E-S on Twitter and Instagram. She writes a lot. She's a smart cookie. I would check her out. If you are one of those companies trying to solve those problems or you have a startup or a great idea for a show and you want to connect with us, we are online and interactive and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all the shows on demand there. If you want to take us with you, go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Subscribe to Tech Bytes. Leave us an amazing five-star review. And if you really, really can't live without us, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and, you know, throw us some money. Maybe what you spent on your online grocery delivery this week. It will help us make more radio, keep the lights on, and the mics hot. I'm Jennifer Leitze, and this is Tech Bytes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.